just want to say this at the front end of my sermon. Thank you. Thank you for being such an amazing church. To serve alongside you. And to worship the Lord God. And uh, the great thing about, about being a believer in Jesus Christ and having eternity secure in God's hands is that goodbyes are only temporary, right? This past week I spent um, cleaning out my office and it hit me as I threw out file after file, file after file. I was thinking, I spent hours and hours and hours on this work. And um, it hit me. Do you know what really lasts? Relationships. Relationships and God's word. Those are the things that last. Are you giving your life to those things? Let's pray. Father God, I I ask that you would help us to give, give our lives to Jesus Christ. We look so forward to the day when we get to stand in glory before him. And we know that every second counts here on earth. The very short time you give us. And Lord, I pray that we would we would be about things that would last for all eternity. Relationships. That we would pay it forward so that we would see the inheritance of the nations. People coming to faith in Christ. That we would be able to worship you and, and love you with these people for all eternity. And Father, I ask too that you would help us to be about your word. Because your word will never end. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as a people. That you would bless this this church to always stay true to God's word, Lord. I pray against any falsehood, any type of heresy that would ever seep into this church. And Lord, I pray that it would stand on the word of God. And Father, I ask that this people would be a holy people, a righteous people, a people that are bright lights for your, for your kingdom. And so, Father, I pray that you would bless them in every way. And I pray this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ. And God's people said, Amen. Well, Lori and I are, are finally at that stage when we can leave the kids alone for a few minutes. Do you remember, you know what I'm talking about, parents? Remember that? It's a really, it's a, it's, it's a great thing. It's just weird to actually be alone in, in, the, in the van together. And um, I've been thinking, do you think it, this would be good for Lori and I just to, to sneak out of the house and leave the kids without telling them that we're leaving? I think that's a good plan. No, that would lead to great fear in their lives. In fact, we give them many instructions before we leave. We say, don't answer the door. Don't fight. Don't fight. Don't fight. (laughs) I don't remember too much after that, but... uh, (laughs) Those instructions that we give our kids are for their peace and joy in their lives. Now, think about Jesus. After he rose from the grave... He gave instructions to his followers. What are Jesus' basic instructions before he left earth? A few weeks ago, we started out this series, and we started in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. And if you can remember, it would really warm my heart. We, we, um, 
we made it really simple. Jesus told us to go and disciple, right? Go and disciple. First of all, though, before we go and disciple, we're supposed to go to see Jesus. And then we're going to go to his family and tell, tell his family, the church, all the things that Jesus has done in our lives. And then we go and disciple the nations. Baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded. So that's what we're supposed to do. Go and disciple. And then two weeks ago, we, uh, we looked at the last chapter of Mark. Mark chapter 16. And um, we came down to a simple phrase there. Simple instruction from Jesus. It was to preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And this is an amazing thing that you've been charged with. To preach the gospel. Every one of you to preach the gospel to all creation. Because in doing so, what you are doing is you are reversing the curse. You know the curse. You know the fact that we, um, we've had great consequences since we rebelled as human beings before God. And so what Jesus has done is he has taken our enemy, the devil, and he's taken the consequences of our own sin and he is redeeming it. And he is reversing the curse. So so preach the gospel. And then last Sunday morning, we talked about being sent by Jesus. We were sent by Jesus as missionaries. Jesus declares in John 20, verse 21, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Right. Warren Wiersbe remarks, Christianity is a missionary faith. It's a missionary faith. We learned this truth last week. If you live like missionaries as Jesus, then then you'll bring God's peace and joy and forgiveness wherever you go. How? Well, through the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't just leave us without supervision. He left the Spirit. Now, when Lori and I leave our kids alone for those few minutes, we leave one of them in charge, one of our children in charge. Usually leave Jesse in charge. Jesus, when he left earth, he put the Holy Spirit in charge of us, which is why the Holy Spirit is to be in control and and fill our lives and to give us instructions. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be controlled by other spirits, but be controlled by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you are saying, John, being controlled by the Holy Spirit, that really, that really scares me. Um, especially for some of you non-firstborns who had to live under a controlling older sibling when your parents went away. Remember that? And you'd probably get into some kind of mischief, and then they'd say, don't tell mom and dad, and I'll give you this, I promise. Right? And so you think that the Holy Spirit's kind of second best. You much prefer your parents' care. And so the Holy Spirit seems second best to the Heavenly Father. Or maybe some of you are just the opposite. You liked it when your older sibling was in charge. And um, you had lots of fun with them. And so you'd much rather have your elder brother Jesus than the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you today, let's not think of the Holy Spirit as second best. 
No, the Holy Spirit is God and gives us everything that the Father and Jesus promised. If you have your Bibles, just turn to John chapter 16, verses 13 through 15, and you'll see what I'm talking about. These are the words of Jesus in John chapter 16, verses 13 through 15. If you don't know where the Gospel of John is, just look at the table of contents and and find the Gospel of John. And we're going to chapter 16, verses 13 through 15. Jesus says this, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And that is why I said the spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Wow, what an amazing statement. The Holy Spirit is to guide us into all truth and give you everything that God has, everything that belongs to God. You're getting everything that belongs to the Father, the God of the universe, and to His Son, Jesus Christ. So today, I want you to know what belongs to God and what it means for our lives. So let's turn to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11. This will be our primary explanation for receiving everything that belongs to God. You're going to actually find in this passage Jesus' final instruction before he left earth. And so turn to Acts chapter 1, and I'll start reading in verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time uh, going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But when you receive power... But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and the cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they asked, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. This is the story of Jesus leaving earth and going to heaven. But just because Jesus left does not mean that he's still not here. Yes, you heard me correctly. Jesus left, but is still here. 
He is here through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is distinct from Jesus. They're two different persons. But the Holy Spirit, as completely in union with God the Father and God the Son, means that He fulfills Jesus' promise. Back in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, the verse that we covered the first week, the last verse that Jesus says, And surely I am with you always until the very end of the age. Until you understand and believe that Jesus has left us his spirit and his control is the best thing in your life, you will not experience real change in your life. You will try to do life on your own. You will think the Christian life is really up to you. You will study the Bible. And you'll try to do your best. But you'll fail. In fact, I hear this all the time. I'm just trying better, Pastor. I'm trying to live for God, but I struggle so much. Even this morning, I got a Facebook really early. And it was like, Pastor John... I don't know how to talk to this person. Pastor Rick's away on vacation. What do I do? You're leaving. I told them, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the answers. Let him work through you. Stop trying and let the Holy Spirit take over, and then you'll see change. I believe this was the experience of Jesus' disciples. They let, they let Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, work through them. They've been afraid for so long. And then they, they become this fearless, emboldened group of men that changed the world. Their efforts were no longer done in their own strength, but done in the Spirit's strength. Because they got their marching orders from Him. Notice what it says in verses 1 and 2. In my former book, Theophilus... I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions, literally orders, through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now, just a little bit of background. Luke was writing to Theophilus. Who's Theophilus? Theophilus just means God-lover. God-lover. I think it was an actual person, but it can relate to all of us. Do you love God here today? Are you interested in God? This message is for you. And so Luke writes to Theophilus, and he writes a sequel to his first volume. The first volume was what? The gospel, right? The gospel of Luke. And it, stole, it told the story of Acts, of Jesus, culminating in his death and resurrection of Christ, and then ends with Christ's ascension. However, unlike most sequels, Luke's sequel letter is not a lesser story. No, it's the continuation of Jesus' work. All that he began to do and to teach, verse 1. Now, if you're paying attention, you'll think, didn't we read that Jesus went up to heaven? So how can Christ continue to work here on earth? Yes. Yes, Jesus did go up to heaven, but he left the Spirit. And guess what? He left us. He left you. So much of your time is probably spent, I want to be in heaven. You've still got some assignments to do. I can tell you on a day like this, this is not one of the most fun days when you, you have to say goodbye to people 
that you love so much. But we can relate to how Jesus felt. And he knew it was better. He still had some assignments for his disciples to do. And then there would be glory. And then there would be eternity. So what are we supposed to do? What is the message that Jesus has for you today? It's the final instruction before leaving earth. We are to be witnesses of Christ's work. We are to be a witness for King Jesus. Now what is a witness? Somebody who just goes door to door? Well, could be. But as Eugene Peterson describes, a witness is never at the center of an activity, but only the person who points to or names what is going on at the center. In other words, they are an observer and a participant, but never at the center of attention. You're never supposed to be at the center of attention. Jesus is. This is about what he has done, what you have seen him do in your life, what you've heard him do in your life. And then you go and tell others. Therefore, being Christ's witness is just recounting what you've seen and heard Jesus do. And that's not that hard. As Warren Wearsby reminds us, there's a great difference between a sales talk and a spirit-empowered witness. You are to be Christ's witnesses, not his sales force. And you're supposed to be Christ's witnesses in Jerusalem, meaning in this city. What city you live in? Maybe it's Whippy, maybe it's Oshawa. Whatever city you're in, you're supposed to be Christ's witnesses. And also, in Judea, in the Durham region, you are to be Christ's witnesses. On Friday, I, I stopped by at a store in Pickering. And um, I, I, it, this really keeps me really accountable. But they're like, Pastor Stairs? And I'm like, man, I get all the way over here Pickering. I thought I'd be safe, but... You know, we have to be Christ's witnesses in this whole region of Durham. This is where God has placed you. And then also in Samaria, your Samaria. This is how I define Samaria. It's the places where you have to go cross-culturally. See, back in that day, Samaria was, was hostile. It was hostile to the Jews. And so you have a Samaria. It might be just across the street, somewhere that's hostile to the gospel. You have to go there and be Christ's witnesses. And then lastly, if there's any other place, it's to the ends of the earth, everywhere, everywhere. What Jesus is saying here is that all of us, either individually, at least as a church, as at least his followers, have to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the other ends of the earth. But not just going, okay, is what Jesus had in mind. You have to go through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will empower you as you recognize Jesus as king of your life. And so the first step in demonstrating Jesus as king of your life is simply this. Obey his commands. Obey his commands. Verse 2. We see here that the Holy Spirit was giving instructions to the apostles. Literally, orders. And, And so what are those orders? Well, 
Here's the really neat thing to think about. All the commands of the Holy Spirit, all the commands of Jesus are right here. You have them. When, when Jesus was saying this to his disciples, they didn't have the New Testament. It wasn't written. And so in this situation, we find that, that the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind all of the teachings of Christ, all of the commands of Christ. Not one rule was lost. So if you want to know the commands of Christ, read the Gospels. Read the New Testament. The Holy Spirit has guided us in all this. They're all in the Bible. Now, I'm just going to focus on one today, just in this text, in verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. One of great God's and Christ's greatest commands is this. Wait. Wait. God seems to shape us through waiting more than any other tool in our toolbox. In fact, God loves to say wait to us. Think about it. Abraham and Sarah waited on God to fulfill his promise of a son. Joseph had to wait on God to fulfill his dreams. Hannah, he... She had to wait for a baby. David, he was on the run for 12 years before ascending to the throne. Think about how God has shaped you when he told you to wait in that place. Could have been really difficult. I bet it was. But that's where you found God's promises. God renews us after we wait. But waiting is not wasting time, is it? Even Jesus had to wait until his time came. In fact, in some sense, Jesus is still waiting to set up his kingdom. The disciples wanted the kingdom to be very political and national. In verse 6, we find the disciples inquiring of Jesus. When they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus replied, verse 7 was, It's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father set by His own authority. Is Jesus being rude here? No. He's reminding them of a different plan set by His Father. The Father's kingdom was different, which I'll talk about in a minute. My point right now for all of you is this, and I, I, I guarantee that there's some in this, this, this place where God is speaking to you, and he's saying to wait, to wait. So, one of the major tests of whether you're seeking first the kingdom of God or our kingdom is if you're willing to wait. Wait on the Father. Ask yourself, do you wait for God to give you instructions first? Or do you ask God to bless the decisions you already made and then take, take action? Ask before you act. Have you how you answered that question about whether you, you go ahead, run ahead, and then ask for God's blessing, or whether you wait on God, reveals who really is the king of your life. And I think it's impossible to have Jesus as your king unless we follow the simple instruction of waiting for what the Father pro promised in Acts 1-4. That promise was the Holy Spirit. So you see, the Holy Spirit's like the general in the kingdom of God. He oversees and gives commands. 
Why? Because he loves to rule over us? No, God could have easily just dominated us because he's the sovereign creator. The biggest and strongest does not necessarily mean that they are the best leader. Instead, the Holy Spirit gives us commands, not just for our benefit to keep us from hurting ourselves, but to benefit others by witnessing what Christ has done in our lives. And so the Holy Spirit gives us commands not to power over us, but to power us up, to show that he is the best leader. How? Well, first, when you obey, you go to the right place God has for you. Your Jerusalem, your Judea, your Samaria, your world. You might not like being in the place that you are right now. You might not like being in that Samaria where it's very hostile and it's a difficult place. But that's where God has you. Stay there. Wait for the Holy Spirit's power to to work through you. Second, when you obey, it reflects greatly on Christ. Think about this. When, When your kids obey you, doesn't reflect and enhance your reputation. But when they don't, I often try in my own mind to think, well, that's, that's just their sinful nature, right? It's not really how it's anything to do, but you're all thinking. You're all thinking it anyways, right? As a pastor, my children, according to Titus 1 verse 6, says that my children must not be wild or disobedient. And so some of you are thinking... I had his kid in Sunday school (laughs) or the nursery. So he seems pretty disqualified to me. I just want to lay it aside here. Thank you so much for the care and discipleship of my children. (laughs) But I really want you to think about it this way. The only proper way to look at this as parents is to realize that all kids are going to sin and make mistakes. Make mistakes. But we as parents, should be engaging this sinful behavior and disciplining our children, which is very closely tied to discipling our children. It's rooted in the same word. And so finally we bring them to the cross. That is what it means to be a parent with Jesus as your king. I try to tell my kids to stop lying, not just because it will hurt them later on in life, that they can be trusted, but because Jesus is the truth. And he died for that lie on a cross. I try to take my children to the cross and let the Holy Spirit work on them. That is letting Jesus be the king of your life. When we witness for Christ, we are both demonstrating in both word and deed what we've seen Jesus do in our lives. And this is letting the cross fully shape our behavior. So what what about those who follow Christ? And who are not good witnesses and don't follow Christ's commands fully. Well, I don't have to look any further than my own reflection in the mirror to see a failed witness. You might be thinking, John, I I hear you talking all about this witnessing thing, but I fail all the time. Me too. I'm not a great witness of Christ at times when I'm impatient with my wife or children or the driver ahead of me on Friday afternoon on the 401. But I I love this reminder from Tim Keller. He says, nobody has had his reputation manhandled more than Jesus Christ. Is that true? And yet, how did Jesus respond to his disciples? They didn't even believe in him. 
when he rose from the grave, he showed them grace. He entrusted his message to disciples who didn't believe. And when they finally did, did uh, after 40 days of him teaching about the kingdom of God, what are they still focused on? Hey, can you, get, can you become that king now that we always wanted so that we could have like really nice homes and we can get the Romans off our back? Jesus is like, oh man, and I'm going to give you this great commission? But he did. And it was all because he wanted to show grace. Every time you show grace, you demonstrate Jesus as your king. In fact, this is the second way of showing Jesus as king in your life. Second of all, you learn his kingdom ways. Grace being foremost of his kingdom ways. I think it's very interesting that after Jesus rose from the grave, he spent 40 days, in verse 3, speaking about the kingdom of God. Why is this so important? See, the kingdom of God is simply the reign of Christ in our lives. This is why John the Baptist and Jesus stated, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Both John the Baptist and Jesus said the same thing when they came on the scene, when they started their ministry. And we find here at the very end of Jesus' time on earth that he's still talking about the kingdom of God. Why? Well, if repentance is about changing your ways, about doing a U-turn, about going in this direction, and then finally turning around and going in this direction, going towards God, Jesus is saying, you will now no longer live in the kingdom of darkness, but you will now live in the kingdom of light. You will come under my reign. Brothers and sisters, I would encourage you to read the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Matthew, and pay a special, special attention to all the times Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. It's not a coincidence that the Gospel writers are relaying Jesus' teaching on the kingdom. And this is the last words of Jesus to his disciples. Our New Testament has as a central theme the kingdom of God. We don't think that, even when we start to read the, the, the letters by Paul. But even Paul, in the last, the last phrase in Acts, let's turn to the end of Acts for a second, everybody. Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. We're going to find here that the kingdom of God was central also in Paul's thinking too. In Acts chapter 28, verse 23. It says, They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers, those are all the Jews, to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening he explained and declared to them what? The kingdom of God. And try to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Then jump down to verse 31. Well, I'll start in verse 30. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed them all to come see him. Boldly, he had to stay, remember again. Interesting, just like the disciples. Boldly and without hindrance. What does it say? He preached the kingdom of God. And taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God 
is the central theme of the New Testament. So study the kingdom of God. Nothing has revolutionized my life and ministry as to study the kingdom of God. And here's how I think about it. Maybe this will help you remember it, okay? Here's the distinctives of the kingdom of God. First of all, there's a monarch, okay? There's a monarch. Who would that be? The monarch is King Jesus. There's also a message, and that's the gospel. There's a message of the kingdom. Thirdly, there's a mission, agent. Christ and his king, kingdom has sent us out on mission. And there's an agent. And guess who the agent is? It's the church. It's you. And finally, there's a mortal enemy. Satan and the kingdom of darkness. So is Jesus your king? Are you presenting his message, the gospel? Do you see the church as God's message agent? And if so, are you fully committed to joining the church on mission with Christ? I challenge you to get committed to your local church. Become a member. Stop dating the church. Get married to it. Serve using your giftedness. And do you prepare yourselves for war against the, the kingdom of darkness by putting on the full armor of God and taking your stand, stand against the devil? Learn the ways of the kingdom, and this will show Jesus as king of your life. But here's the thing. You won't. You won't unless you understand the ascension of Jesus, which is the third way you will show Jesus as the king of your life. You need to believe and celebrate the ascension. I've got to say that I didn't really understand much about the ascension until this past week. And uh, I was listening to a sermon by Tim Keller, and he helped me so much in my study of the Ascension. The Ascension is really big. I've always thought the Ascension simply was a scene where Jesus kind of went up to heaven, and the angels came and announced, hey, Jesus is going to come back someday in the same way. But it's way more than that. We need to understand that the Ascension has much deeper implications for believers, for all of you today. So there's two meanings here. First of all, the first meaning of an ascension, of the ascension, is to go up. To literally to go up. The second meaning is to ascend to the throne. Let me speak about the ascension as going up. Since I was a little boy, maybe you thought this too, I always thought that Jesus went up to heaven, and he, so he went through the clouds, and he picked up speed, and went faster than the speed of light, kind of like warp speed maybe, uh, to the edge of the universe, beyond the Hubble, Hubble telescope reaches, and finally he got to some glorious golden city. Is that kind of how you thought of it, how it works? Yeah? That's not the main point of the ascension. Jesus went beyond the heavens to heaven, which means that he went, as Tim Keller says, out of time and space. His ascension means that before he could only be at one place at a time, but now he transcends space and time. He can be with us all the time. He, can, he never has to leave us until the end of the age. We never lose Jesus, even if people were to lock us up in jail, put us in, in, under the ground of the earth in some bunker. 
Now that Jesus has ascended, Tim Keller says, he, his, his, all that he was to be explodes on us all the time. His persona and work becomes cosmic. Can you picture that? Do you see how the ascension starts to unlock some of those verses that seem peculiar when they read them in Acts and Hebrews and Ephesians? Let me just quote one from you. Um, and this, uh, I'll quote from Hebrews chapter 3, or Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Turn into Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Here's a verse that I read, and I'm like, I don't have any idea what this means. Maybe you do, but all of a sudden, understanding that Christ has ascended to the throne, and he transcends space and time, will help you understand this verse. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. And after He provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So He became as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my Son, today I have become your Father. I have to admit, or actually the last part, or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. I have to admit that this verse didn't make sense to me because I always thought, well, God, God's son is eternal. How does he become God the Father's son? But what if it wasn't until Jesus ascended to his throne, acting as prime minister or CEO, responsible for day-to-day operations of the universe, that Jesus not only came to his rightful place of glory, but also so that the kingdom of God or reign of God could be realized. Jesus could only achieve this if he obeyed his father. Think about this. Just as a a king will only give his throne to a, a son who has proven himself worthy to lead his subjects, God is saying to Jesus as a human being that he fully obeyed God's commands and therefore was worthy to lead. God is saying, you are my firstborn over all creation. And since in the plan of God, he wanted a human being to rule the earth because Adam messed up the first time, nobody else could ascend to this throne. Why? Because being on that throne requires perfection. Everybody else has failed as king. But Jesus became low. Even though he's the most powerful, he showed that he was the best leader. Now here's the truth. And you can reject it. And if you reject it, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Or you can rejoice in the truth that Jesus is your king. If we allow Jesus to be our king, then we will find our purpose in this world and we'll shine light into the cloudiness of our expectations. Remember, the angels rebuked the disciples for looking into the sky back in Acts, chapter 1, verse 11. Why? Why would they do that? Seems pretty cruel, especially after they just got back Jesus from the grave, and now he's leaving them again, and they show no sympathy and compassion towards the disciples' grief. Problem was, was the disciples were missing the point now, now that Jesus was reigning in heaven, and only the ascension could accomplish this. As Tim Keller says, the ascension of Christ was the detonator for the power of God to be displayed. 
Yes, they should have expected, as we should expect, Jesus to physically return to them. But now they are going to have a power from the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses of his kingdom in a way that they never could before. Do you see that? The ascension now affects you radically in your life. Jesus is with you all the time and with you in power. This is why in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, the apostle Paul says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints. And it's incomparably great power for us who believe that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And then verse 22. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? What I want you to remember, most of all, is that you, as the church, fill up, fill up this world with Christ's reign. You have great authority, great power. You have Christ's presence. Do you see the power through the Holy Spirit? Do you see how it can change the world? Every time you obey Christ, you change the world and show Christ's reign. You be patient, all of a sudden that has a ripple effect at work. When your boss is giving you such a hard time, you obey Christ's command, it starts to change things. Every time you live out the ways of the kingdom by sharing the gospel and overcoming evil with good, you change the world and show Christ's reign. Every time you rejoice in the ascension of Jesus, you change the world and show Christ's reign. My beloved Calvary Baptist Church, is Jesus your king? You need to have that settled in your life today so you can be witnesses for the king. Let's pray. Father God, I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus and by his authority, not by any other name, not my words, but your words. Lord, I pray that we would grab hold of the truth of the kingdom of God, that Christ is our king, that we are to obey him, that we are to live out his kingdom, and because of the ascension of him ascending to the throne, we have now great power and presence and authority. Lord, help us to live in such a way, opposite of the world, that uses this authority in order to serve others rather than dominate them. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And God's people said, power of Christ to stand. I've noticed something often happens when a pastor leaves a church. It forces people to step up their game. Some people end up praying more. Others serve more. Still others disciple more, evangelize more, and leading more. 
Is that going to be you? Are you going to be Christ's witnesses? Are you going to be witnesses for the king? Do you hear Jesus calling? Don't answer the call because I'm saying it. Listen to Jesus, King Jesus. I liken this to passing the baton. Stay in your lane (laughs) by obeying Christ's commands. Learn the kingdom ways. Study God's word for yourselves. Storm heaven with your prayers. Overcome the evil one by taking a stand against them through the word of God. Get into groups. Don't try to do life alone. Grow in your faith if you do that. And finally, celebrate. Celebrate what the king has done. He has won the battle. He has ascended to the throne. His power is available to you. Will you take your stand? Will you be a witness for the king? I pass the baton to you. Let's pray. Father, God, bless this people. May your face shine upon them. May they be used in such mighty ways that only you will get the credit. And Father God, protect them from the evil one. Let them stay close to your heart. Lord, I I look forward to the day when Lori and I hear of reports of the many people who, who have gone on in the faith and grown. Lord, I pray that there would be people who are saved and baptized from those who are going out today to proclaim and be witnesses of the King. Lord, I pray, I pray, Lord, that you would raise up many leaders. I pray that you would raise up pastors and missionaries from this place. Deacons, other leaders who would just um, be used to extend your kingdom in mighty ways. Lord, I pray, ultimately, that every one of them would have Jesus as their king. And I pray in his name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.